For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. A midweek edition, Wednesday get-together here on CBS Sports, uh, excuse me, not CBS Sports, that's where I'm working, coming up about two hours from now, on Birds 365. It is usually the Mac and Mac guys, and it will be shortly. John McMullen is going to join us before he heads off to practice. I get to do these next two hours with Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports. JK, what do you say? Hey, you know what, Jody? It was an exciting day of Eagles training camp practice yesterday. Uh, not, definitely not sure to drama, but there was a lot of actual football stuff going on, which is awesome to talk about. Right. Uh, I, I will, we'll get into some of the drama that you're referring to, but they actually had pads on. It's actual football. And uh, I'll give the Eagle assembled media credit uh, because I've taken shots at them the last couple of years. Uh, that they have overemphasized how good certain Eagles skill position players have looked when they're running a- around in shorts and T-shirts. Uh, yeah, it's nice. You're going to look real good when no one's actually trying to take you to the ground and they've built up the hopes of uh, certain players uh, to come to mind off the top of the header, Nelson Aguilar and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I don't care how good you look in July. At least tell me what you're looking like in August when pads are actually on. So I'm not dismissing everything that's been done as Eagles have gotten a couple uh, days of practice in. But now we can really start to evaluate because the guys will actually be wearing wearing pads. And here he is, the guy who was down there to watch him actually hit each other. Nobody got hurt and they didn't get into a fight. That's a good thing. John McMullen hops aboard with us here on Birds 365. I heard the closest thing to a fight was you and Brandon Lee Gowton. Is that true? Oh, uh, no. And have much oh, did Johnny Mac forget to turn his Wi-Fi off again? Is that the issue we're having? It's the daily reminder. JM, JM, JM. There you go. Now we got you. Yeah, I turned my Wi-Fi off, That's okay. it. so it's another issue out of my control. <laughs> uh, but no, I heard, I was talking, I heard you guys. Uh, if that was the case, thankfully, BLG is a very nice human being. He's got tremendous length that uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to get, I'm not even going to touch him in that fight. What's he going at now, John? Like he's six nine, but what is he now, weight wise? <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. I I, I would be terrible at those uh, at those carnival games where you guess the weight. Right, we had we had Brandon on the show. He said he was going about two forty. He's slim for, six, and he's good. He's a good power forward. He says he's at his uh, fighting weight. All right, yeah, no fights for the Eagles yesterday, but a spirited practice just the same with actual hitting. What was the difference between yesterday and the first five practice when guys are running around in shorts and T-shirts? Well, I think it's more important. Uh, football is a game where it's played with pads uh, and, you know, there was no live session, so no live tackling to the ground. But, uh, you know, 
we're in a new era. I talk about it all the time. You're very limited in, in sort of live sessions alone. I mean, there's an opportunity if you go back to Chip Kelly days. I mean, they never tackled to the ground. Uh, Doug Peterson had maybe two or three every summer. Uh, Nick Sirianni still kind of weighing that. He said yesterday, not sure if he's going to tackle to the ground in camp. So, yeah, I mean, these days are important because you can tell it's a physical game. As much as people try to make it safer and less violent for a public relations standpoint, it's a violent game. And big, strong, uh, powerful, aggressive people dominate in football. And the only way you can figure out who that is, is to put those pads on. John, this was way overblown on Eagles Twitter yesterday. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this because Inside Training Camp Live just happened to catch footage of Jalen Hurts sailing a couple passes and everybody was acting like the sky is falling. But from all accounts I heard, Jalen Hurts actually looked decent yesterday. Uh, Your thoughts? Yeah, he's, he's, he's been fine uh, the past few days. I think you've seen, I, I've said, pretty incremental improvement from day one. But you see that every day. I mean, that's what we've been talking about pretty consistently is his consistency throwing the football. You're going to see two or three or four throws every practice that sort of sail where they're not supposed to go. Uh, and that's what they're working on. And you know, I think you look at Josh Allen in Buffalo. I think he's the template. Uh, a lot of scouts in this league have said for years, you're either accurate or you're not. Well, Josh Allen kind of said that's not necessarily true because uh, he improved to such a degree so quickly. And I think it was Kevin Clark who did a great story for The Ringer on Josh Allen. And he, he pointed out, you know, the people in Buffalo, how much goes into it. And a lot of it is that supporting cast. And a lot of it is getting the good offensive line. And then you get the weapons. And when all of that comes together, it helps the quarterback. And the quarterback becomes more comfortable. So that's why we talk about receiver all the time. And we talk about this team's got to get better at that position. Um, you're not going to get Stephon Diggs this year. But hopefully Devontae Smith gets healthy and, and, and provides a big upgrade. <clears throat> and that'll make Jalen Hurts look better. So it's sort of a, a chicken and an egg type of thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's not he's not Joe Montana in his prime. I mean, he's not Tom Brady where you go, whew. I still say to this day when the Patriots came here for joint practices, you know, they were doing one-on-ones on the side field, and I, I was – five feet away from the Eagles defensive backs at the time coming back after their one-on-one rep. And I've never heard so many expletives in my life because every throw was on the button and there was nothing they could do about it. He's never going to be that guy, but he's got other attributes. uh, And obviously the ability to extend the play, the ability to run the football that can make him a very successful quarterback. But, yeah, if you're going to look at practice footage, you're going to see a few throws that make you cringe. John, on the inaccurate throws that he's had, and I get it, he's been inconsistent. Uh, Sometimes he's able to put it right where he wants to and other times not even close. Has there been a type of throw or a group of throws 
that have given him more problems than other? Is there a type of throw, group of throws that he's been real good at that you say, okay, well, we're in, we're in a good spot here, but here's what we've got to do. That much more work because the quarterback's not able to get the ball where he needs to at that uh, type of throw or that um, specific part of the offense. Where has he had his issues and trouble so far? Well, I think the best part is the deep ball. I think he's got a natural ability to sort of place it in the bucket. And, and Shane Steichen talked about that the other day. He's really good uh, with the deep ball. Um, go routes and things of that nature. Uh, the intermediate stuff is where it gets kind of kind of wonky. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's right on the button and other times um, it's what Jeff was talking about. And that's why you know, they're focused on improving the footwork and making it more consistent on, on a play-to-play basis. Um, so I would say that's certainly the biggest concern from the Eagles standpoint. You know, it's interesting. Uh, in team drills, I've noticed when he locks on a receiver, he could throw strikes. But, you know, it's tough to lock on receivers in the NFL because you're going to – the better safeties in this league are going to read your eyes and jump routes so you have to look off the the great quarterbacks look off and then come back when he tends to do that and and his head goes from side to side he gets a little bit inaccurate how did Jalen Rager look yesterday I know that was his I guess his first full practice or was Monday his first full practice yeah Monday um uh he's you know he hasn't shown much uh, to date, but again, we're only for him, we're only two days in, uh, where he's working in team drills. And obviously, um, he, he was playing on the outside because Devontae's not there. Um, you know, early, uh, uh, on, on Monday, he played in the slot, which I think is ultimately where they want him, uh, at least for a large portion of time. Um, hasn't been great, but plenty of time. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, the, Shane continues to rave about his speed, his playmaking ability. Um, so he got a late start. So I think he got a grade on a curve there. Uh, but, yeah, they need they need him to, to really improve this summer. Um, and whenever that comes, whether it's the preseason games, later in camp, even when camp ends, uh, as he starts to get more comfortable, He's, a, he's going to be a big part of this offense, and they, they need to lean on him. They really do because that receiver spot, is uh, it looks shaky. J-Mac, one uh, reason why it looks shaky is because Devonta Smith suffers the uh, maybe non-contact, maybe contact. We don't know for sure. <laughs> you gave it your take on that know. yesterday. Still don't know. Um, but here's what we do know. He was right back out on the field yesterday. Not yeah practicing not in drills but actually working with a jugs machine to keep his hand-eye coordination in play usually a guy's out for weeks and that's the way the eagles uh, labeled him week to week well then he's not going to be out there on the field we've had too many guys who have disappeared from eagle practice and we haven't seen for days not to von smith he got back out there i think that's a really good sign yeah, it's a great sign. Yeah, I remember Darren Sproles was day to day with a hamstring. We saw him three months later. <laughs> so uh, this hopefully this this regime is a little bit more open with injuries. I think they're going to be. Uh, but yeah, really positive. I mean, if it were a, even a grade two, um, I don't think he'd be on the field. So this is a clear indication that 
It's the least uh, serious type of MCL sprain, and it really is only going to be a couple weeks. Now, while while I say that, you know, they might be cautious anyway, so it might be a little bit longer from that perspective um, because the goal is to get them to week one, I would imagine, and that's a t- tough tightrope. You know, I, I talk about guys like Brandon Brooks. Like, I don't care if he practices. I mean, just get him to week one. Um with a rookie, uh, they need reps. Even even as rookie as talented as Devonte Smith, if you, if you want to go back to Justin Jefferson last year, I you know who had a historic rookie season. I, I don't think people realize he didn't start for the first month of the season, and really the second month, you know everybody's trying to take Thielen away. Nobody's paying attention to him, and then they wake up and say, "Oh, this guy's pretty good. We better pay attention to him." Um, and you know, that's sort of what I'm trying to say. Even when you look at a historic rookie season like that, there's, there's sort of a ramp up period for rookies and he's, he's not going to have that ramp up period. At least it's going to be, you know, shrunk down considerably. So it's, it's a little bit of concern because they need him. They can't afford, they don't have an Adam feeling, so they can't afford for him that, you know, hey, just go be the third receiver for a month. They need him to be wide receiver one on September 12th in Atlanta. Now, Zach McPherson had a really good day yesterday, and I read your piece on him, John. Dare I say it, the Eagles might have a good quarterback group? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, I, I've said the same thing. It's pretty amazing how far we've come from, you know, Monday. Monday they announced before the beginning of camp is when they announced the Steve Nelson signing. So if you go back to that Sunday, I I think everybody said, what's your biggest concern? There's a lot of concerns with a four win team with a rookie head coach and a, and a young quarterback. But I think if you talk to most people, they would say the biggest concern was, was cornerback where it was, you know, Darius Slay and pray. That's what I joke. That's, that was, that seemed like the plan. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I talk about that domino effect with Smith at wide receiver. All of a sudden, Nelson comes here. You have two outside corners. Steve, you know, is competent. I'm not comparing him as a player. Um, but he's a starting outside corner in this league. And that enables you to put Avante Maddox in the slot where he's better suited. Um and then all of a sudden you look at the depth and said, well, the depth is still not good. So you're you're a little bit concerned. But then camp starts and Craig James looks good and, and, and Zach McPherson looks good and Josiah Scott looks good. And, and now you look at maybe they have some depth as well. And that's, hey, that's what Jonathan Cannon was known for before he became a defensive coordinator. He was a cornerbacks coach and, you know, he got a lot of corners that you thought either were at the end of their career like Xavier Rhodes and turned them back around or TJ Carey types who nobody thought much of and, and, and turned them into more than what they seem like. You know, maybe he's doing that here. I, I, I you know, Zach's been great. Uh, I think we've had six practices. He's got his hand on the football. I know five, at least in five of them. Might be six of six. Um, now he's, he's working against the second and third team. So you have to put that into the equation as well, but 
he's been good. Speaking of second and third teams and wide receivers, they're not that big a difference. If Devonta Smith's not playing and Jalen Rager's just getting his feet wet, do we really know who's the first team wide receivers and who's the third team wide receivers? They can be pretty fluid. Uh, so I'm not going to uh, try and look at McPherson's performance on a curb. He's been good, period. And I'll, I'll take it at that. Uh, you mentioned five out of six days. He may have gotten his hand on the ball. Is Nick Sirianni going to tell you uh, an hour and change from now that the offense is 6-0? and Because I know you were a little surprised that he gave the nod to the yeah. offense uh, yesterday and uh, made it a 5-0 well, play I, I, as I of joke, right now. I joke to Nick off on the side. I'm like, I tried to give you guys a win. Uh, you know, and it was he said it was 27-24 uh, defense. So it was really close. And I was trying to give him a win. Uh, but he doesn't he, – he hasn't – you know, he, he wouldn't confirm that they're 0 4. There was another day where it was close as well. Maybe, maybe he gave him the win there. Um, he, you know, he hates this. I knew as soon as Lane, Lane Johnson said it, you know, he was going to get this asked every time he talked to us. He hates it. Uh, he doesn't want it. it I, I think it's overblown. It's not that big of a deal. Um, but they grade each play. It's kind of silly, to be honest. Uh, and I think it was 27-24 um, defense. That yesterday, you know, yesterday was kind of close. And then I think it was like a old-school boxing fans, Jody, you'll know. It was like a Sugar Ray Leonard round where you get the big flurry at the end. Late. Uh, oh, that, that's how you steal rounds. Yeah, exactly. Is, uh, flurry late. And, and the defense stole it with their uh, performance in, in – uh, in uh, in uh, two minute drills, I mean, they just shut down the offense. They couldn't do anything, so they did a Sugar Ray Leonard won that. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, and you talk about grades, and I hate to bring this guy up, but what would Andre Dillard's grade be right now? Yeah, I called it yesterday. You know, it was just, we were all laughing. I, all, all the beat writers called it long ago, and they said I was the last one. And after I after I saw him pancake Brandon Graham, which I don't think I've ever seen before. I've certainly never seen it in practice. Maybe it happened young, in, in his career young, uh, when he was a younger player and he was struggling. Uh, but Jordan pancake Brandon Graham. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and Andre Dillard just got put on skates by Josh Sweat in the Joe Flacco's lap. And I called it. I said, okay, we're done. This is over. Um, now, yeah, but if we joked about it. None of us matter. The only person that matters is Howie Roseman. And it's the first day. Uh, and, and and by the way, I, I, I mean that sincerely. I mean, it's not Nick Sirianni. It's not Jeff Stoutland. It's Howie Roseman. And if Howie Roseman wants Andre Dillard to start, Andre Dillard's going to start. Um but he doesn't deserve to start. I mean, he is getting lapped. I mean, it is not close at this point. Except here's the one thing, John. And I'm not saying that you're wrong, that Howie Roseman is going to make the call as to who's the left tackle, who's going to be the starting left tackle. He may. He may actually do that. Jeff Stoutland is not going to just sit there and go, yes, whatever Howie says, that's what I believe. No, Nick Sirianni might uh, try and build the case for Dillard and or point out the two good plays that Andre Dillard has had in six practices so far, or, or do what needs be done to rest, uh, justify that type of a decision. Stoutland's not going to do that. Stoutland's going to say, 
listen, this is not my call. Uh, I just coach them up. I just work them out. Someone uh, above me, uh, higher up the chain and uh, with a bigger uh, pay scale is making this call. So don't look at me, guys, for this one, which is basically going to tell us, yes, Howie Roseman's making the call, uh, but it's not going to go as swimmingly as maybe they want. When it's as blatantly obvious as you guys, and when I say that, good to know you finally came around, John McMullen, all of the Eagle beat writers say, saying this competition has been a non-competition. Yeah, and, and it has. I wanted to see the pads, and this is the first day of the pads. So, number one, I mean, there's far more, you know, who knows? It's probably not going to happen, but maybe Andre turns the corner in preseason games. Uh, but right now, it's a blowout. Um, you're right about Jeff Stoutland. I mean, Jeff's going to make it known uh, what he believes behind the scenes. He's he's a far more he's, – he's a very smart guy, though. He's very political. I would compare it to Tom Donahoe. They're kind of like the same person. Tom, his voice name when he is known in the draft room when he shouldn't have, it didn't matter. I mean, how he's going to do what Howie wants to do. That's my point. Um, yeah, I mean, Jeff's going to Jeff's going to make it very clear what he wants, what should be. But even when he talked about this competition back in the spring, uh, when we got uh, some availability with him, um, he mentioned it's not his decision. Uh, and now he said it was Nick Sirianni's decision because, again, he's very political. And, and, and by the way, I want to point this out because I was talking to some other reporters about this yesterday. And I think I mentioned it on the show. This is not rare for a GM. Howie's no different than any other GM in this league. Every GM in this league wants their top tier picks to succeed. Every single one of them. And they push them down coaches' throats. Now, this is what's concerning to me about the whole Andre Diller, Jordan Malata situation. If it's that big of a gap, wouldn't someone say to Howie, like, uh, okay, like, you know, this guy cannot start for us week one of the season. And I know, you know, John, I agree with you. I think Howie's going to push this as much as he can. But, I mean, sincerely, though, what does Jordan Malata have to do at this point to make sure the Eagles don't even think about crossing that road with Andre. Yeah, there's a lot of weird things going on there because of where Jordan is in his career as well. Remember, contract comes in and he's in a contract year. (laughs) That plays into it, money. Um, The the pedigree plays into it. His versatility, counterintuitive, plays into it uh, because he's better suited to be a swing tackle uh, and can play on both sides, whereas Andre uh, Andre can't. It, it's sort of like uh, uh, an on-field version of the off-field counterintuitive notion that uh, Nick Sirianni could pick his coaching staff, but Doug Peterson couldn't uh, because Nick moved around and, and Doug didn't because he was under a successful head coach. Logically, it doesn't make sense. Uh, as I said to Jody a lot, why is Doug Peterson going to quit being under Andy Reid? I mean, it, there's no better place to be. Uh, it doesn't make sense, but you're holding it against him. Same thing with Jordan. His versatility should give him a leg up, but it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. That's kind of how the NFL works. Um, but right now, I, I said before, if it's close, I've said this consistently, Andre's going to win the job. It's not close. 
and how he can't explain it away. So ultimate, ultimately, if it keeps going the way it's going, yeah, George is going to win the job. Um, and then, you know, how he'll try probably to convince maybe Houston, who wanted him badly uh, when the Eagles drafted him, um, maybe he can convince them to take him. But he'll try to spin him off because he doesn't really shape up very well as a versatile type backup. Um, and we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens as the summer goes on. I know it's early, but I'm sure you've already uh, done the exercise how many offensive linemen the Eagles going to keep on the 53? Well, they got a lot of talent. They're going to cut some guys that can play in the NFL. And, and fans are going to say, Matt Pryor's my most example. I, I don't see how Matt Pryor makes the team. And by the way, he's the first team right guard right now because uh, Brandon Brooks is out. Um, and I don't see a path where he can make this team because obviously Landon Dickerson is not practicing yet. He's making the team. Uh, Nate Herbig's making the team. Um, Jack Driscoll's making the team. They have a lot of talent on the offensive line. They have a lot of depth, and you know that's not the case in most NFL cities. Um, so even though these guys uh, in Matt Pryor would be the most notable example, uh, they don't look great in extended snaps. They're really good backups, um, and a lot of that is the versatility. Um, but yeah, they're, they're probably going to keep, uh, 10 and, you know, they'll try to keep two more on the practice squad. Usually remember practice squads are, uh, expanded again. Uh, so they're going to try to get all these guys back, but I think you could see some waiver wire claims, um, or some trades. I mean, how we could try to trade a Matt Pryor for a late round, uh, late day three pick like he did with Dennis Kelly a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, they're good and they're deep on the offensive line. Now you, you need the starters though. Look, people overblow the Jack Driscoll's of the world and the Nate Herbig's of the world. They're good players. They're good young players, but you want Brandon Brooks out there. You want Lane Johnson. There's a big difference between those guys and, and good backups. Now, this is a two-part question for you, John. Um, the Devion Taylor injury, I, I guess he went to the tent, then he went in yesterday. And what linebackers have stood out to you uh, this week? Well, um, Devion, number one. I mean, I, I, I advocated for this, and maybe it's part bias because it was kind of coming true. But, um, you know, he's so athletic. I said, just throw him in the deep end of the pool and see what he can do. Uh, and he was getting a ton of first-team reps, uh, and I thought they were going in that direction. So I think this quad injury, because that's a guy who needs reps. I mean, he was so raw coming out of college, barely played high school football because of his uh, faith. Um, he needs reps. So I think this injury, and you could tell he was disappointed. I was right there when he uh, walked off the field, and I could see him trying to get, I think it was his left quad, trying to get some blood going in it. So he's having, uh, just pounding it. Um, so, and, and he's a thoroughbred. So those, those soft tissue injuries, quads, groins, hamstring, calf, those are big deals for guys who, who run really fast. So that could, that could slow them down. You know, they've been rotate more than any other position. Jody, you and I have talked about this competition mantra. I mean, more than any other position, where it's real as linebacker. 
I mean, they've been rotating guys, first, second team. Even Eric Wilson has been on the second team a lot because they want to look at the T.J. Edwards of the world. And even Rashad Smith has gotten first team reps. I mean, they are rotating everybody in there to see who the best pair can be. And remember, Alex Singleton hasn't even been out there yet. Um, And who knows? He might get released because of an unwillingness to, um, you know, I can't say if he's vaccinated or not, but the timing tells me he's not uh, because he's still on the list. Um, That might be the most uncertain position on this team where you could have somebody you just don't expect. And oh, by the way, Jonathan Gannon with the pads on finally unveiled that sort of stand-up hybrid rusher role that we all expected. Now, Ryan Kerrigan's hurt, um, hurt his thumb, um, not serious day-to-day. I think that's going to be his role. He had Joe Oshman working it, Jannard Avery working it. Um, So there's some interesting things going on at linebacker. Uh, the other position I'd certainly wanted to ask about, and I think there's uncertainty here, which is not a bad thing. Um, Miles Sanders is going to be the lead back. Is he going to be a bell cow back? We start trying to figure out exactly how many touches and like that, that can swing and sway for so many different reasons. But we know Miles is going to be the number one guy. After that, coming into this offseason, I did well, coming into this camp, excuse me. I, I thought there was five guys that would, you know, have a very tough time differentiating between. And all five have actually, at times, looked pretty good, made a big play, flashed. Boston Scott, of course, was here last year. Gainwell's got the advantage of being a draft pick. How are they going to decide the running back who's here, who's on the practice squad? Who are they going to risk? Is it going to be decided by camp? Is it going to be decided by the preseason games? How do you think that's going to play itself out? Yeah, I mean, the pads are a big deal with running backs as well with all, as, as offensive linemen. Um, you know, I'm going to use another Howieism here. What, what flavor do you like? I think that's what it comes down to uh, with Nick Sirianni and this offensive coaching staff. They, they've been putting a lot of work into what they call this 21-speed formation uh, where two fast running backs are on the field at the same time. So it's been Miles or uh, and Kenny Gainwell, mainly some Kenny Gainwell and Jason Huntley uh, yesterday, uh, even Adrian Killens at times, who has sort of been mostly a, uh, a receiver. Um, if, if they're going to use that a lot, you know, even somebody like Huntley, I, when this camp started, I said, well, that's a tough numbers game for Jason Huntley. Um, but he's really flashed. He's really impressed. Yesterday he went up off the right side for about, 55-yard touchdown. I mean, he he's if he's not the fastest guy on this team, he is really close. I mean, he he he's he looks faster than Miles. Um, he can really run. Uh, so it's kind of you know, do they want a Jordan Howard type? Do they want a between the tackles runner? Um, Nick Sirianni spoke very highly of Boston Scott. I think people forget about him. Boston's going to be here as far as I'm concerned that unless they're lying to us uh so you start with miles in boston and you know kenny gainwell is going to make it as a draft choice 
So then you talk about that four spot and if they're going to keep five, you know, and they might, if they use a lot of 21, uh, then you start talking to carry on Johnson's the Jordan Howard's the Jason Huntley's. And that's where you say, what, what flavor do you like Nick Sirianni? Now this is an interesting one, John, you mentioned uh, Jason Huntley. Who's the kick returner and who's the punt returner? Well, Jason uh, has been uh, back with the, uh, kickoff returns along with uh, Kenny Gainwell. Um, the punt return, and by the way, kickoff is just not important anymore. It, it, you might, you cool. might, you might return 13, 14 kicks in an entire NFL season. People get way too worked up about that. It's nice to have Cordero Patterson, but you know what? What does it matter at this point until they do something with the rules? Um, the punt return is much more important, and that's been shaky. Um, you know, obviously Jalen Rager, uh, has taken reps, um, Devontae Smith. I'm a little surprised because honestly, I thought they would want Devontae before he got hurt, obviously, and Jalen to focus more on the wide receiver position, uh, and let somebody else handle the punt return. Michael Walker was brought in. He's barely been back there. Gainwell, uh, Greg Ward, Greg Ward is sort of the security blanket, the safety net, because you know, he's going to catch it although he did flub one the other day, but, you know, he's pretty secure back there. Um, uh, Gainwell has been really bad at it. Uh, I mean, it's really struggle, especially when it's a little bit windy. So it's still a work in progress. And for some reason, they don't put Michael Walker back there, and I can't figure it out for the life of me. He's back there one day. Uh, he was a great punt returner at Boston College. So... It's still a work in progress right now. I think it would be similar to last year. If, if you're at the 50 and they're trying to pin you back, it's going to be Greg Ward to, to make sure there's ball security. If there's a chance that you get a return and they're punting from deep in their own territory, you're probably going to have Rager or even Smith in high leverage situations back there. All right. Last one, John, we know you got to get to practice. Um, I'm assuming no Zach Ertz drama issues. He had his pads on correctly, not inside out, not they trying to hide anything. You can't, you can't turn them inside out. You probably okay. would have liked to. No, they're still, they're coming to, I'll tell you what, man. Nick Sirianni is coming to the exact same conclusion Doug Peterson did. It's like every year now. You want to get receivers on the field. You want to get more speed on the field. And every year, Doug would come to the conclusions. I, I don't want to say it. I don't want to put words in his mouth. My, but essentially, my wide receivers stink. I got two good tight ends. I got to play the two good tight ends. Nick Sirianni's getting to that point. And all of a sudden, there's more 12 personnel, and Zach's out there, and he played very well yesterday. He's got a chip on his shoulder. The only concern is, does Zach want to be here? Probably not, but he might. He, you know, Howie Roseman is playing on the fact that he's a professional and he's going to do his job and he is a professional. He's going to do his job and he's going to be out there because he's better than the receivers. And oh, by the way, he's making eight million dollars, which if he were to get his druggers and be released, he's not getting that on the open market. So my advice to Zach would be grin and bear it and get paid this year, big guy. Uh, John McMullen's our big guy. He's off to practice. JM, uh, we will talk to you uh, first thing tomorrow morning, bud. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
John McMullen, usual co-host of the show. Jeff Carr doing an outstanding job filling in for him. He's here with me, Jody Mack. We are Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Thank Johnny Mac for getting on as early as he has been all week long. With him out, though, I'm uh, ably aided by Jeff Kerr, who's hanging with me here on Birds 365 today. Uh, first padded practice of the season for the Eagles. No tackling guys all the way to the ground. And the coach Havinson even committed to how many, if any, of those practices they're going to actually have. But uh, it's just nice to know that they're actually in a football mode. Um, you said, Jeff, you uh, 
uh, played when you were in high school, a little bit of an undersized guy in the trenches, but did it just the same. Hey, anytime you're playing on either the offensive or defensive line, it's your life is contact is, is getting in there and uh, being physical with a member of the other team. That is something I think you really need to practice. I don't care how long you've been doing. Eagles got some good veterans on both the offensive and the defensive line. It's just something you have to get back into your system before a season starts. Is it not? Yeah. And obviously football has changed so much since I graduated high school 15 years ago, but I remember our first pattern of practice was our first training camp practice and, we had offensive practice in the morning, defensive practice in the afternoon. And we literally did team drills to start to practice just to get the hitting in. And I just remember going past our right tackle and I was like, uh, kill the quarterback, kill the quarterback. And then I realized, oh, wait, I can't do that. So that that was the only thing. But besides that, it, it always felt good to just get somebody like just knocking you down or, you know, trying to get past somebody or knock somebody down. But yeah, it's definitely something they have to get used to. And I think they will have a tackling practice at some point to get ready for that preseason game next week. But overall, I kind of like what he's doing. It's just slowly getting them acclimated and everything. He'll have a tackling practice, I think. He just won't tell us. Fair enough. And, uh, he, yeah, we probably won't know until the actual day when they come out. And, then, hey, they're actually tackling. Um, I thought you did a good job getting out of John the fact that the quarterback play with Jalen Hurts at this point has been inconsistent. Depends on uh, everybody can observe a practice and have a varying opinion on how good a guy looks, what kind of bar are you setting to begin with. Uh, it sounds to me like Jalen Hurts' biggest problem has been inconsistency. It isn't like he doesn't make any good passes, but he makes both good passes and bad passes. And depending on your point of view and or your spin, uh, you're going to emphasize one over the other. If he's being inconsistent and sometimes good, sometimes bad, that's not going to cut it. Uh, I know he's still just a first-time ever starter, but we also know where the Eagles are overall as a franchise. Uh, they give the big contract to Carson Wentz. Things fall apart for varying reasons. They decide to move on from him. They're going to go back into the deep end of the pool to try and find a franchise quarterback. And Jalen Hurts has to set the bar pretty high for himself if he thinks he's going to be the franchise quarterback here and be the starting quarterback in 2022. Well, yeah, and that's what's going to concern me about Jalen Hurts, Jody. I, I truly, I think the guy can get the job done, but what is getting the job done now? Like, if he's going to be great one week and terrible the next, where it's short throws or being inaccurate or, or that, and, you know, I, I hate to say it, he kind of reminds me of a young Donovan in that sense. Like, I remember Donovan, he wasn't exactly the most accurate quarterback here, especially – early on in his career. And Jalen Hurts is kind of in the same situation. He doesn't have the playmakers you would think they need. I remember Donovan was looking really good, and then he lost to Staley like week five or week six of that 2000 season. Staley had the broken foot. And all of a sudden, he, you know, the completion percentage went down, and he's scrambling for his life. And, you know, I, I have a feeling that's going to be like Jalen Hurts in a sense because he's going to have a good offensive line. But there's going to be throws where you're going to say to yourself, what the heck was he doing there? Like the guy was wide open. And I, I, I don't even think it, it may even be week to week. It may be possession to possession. And that's, what's going to frustrate me a lot about Hertz this year. And that's what the Eagles are going to have to really look at. Like, okay, this guy can, he brings this to the table. He's a leader. Everybody seems to like him, but can this guy win us football games or more importantly, can he win us a Super Bowl? If he can't, or they think he can, and they think someone in the 2022 draft can, 
or a certain quarterback out of Houston. I don't even want to go that route right now, but the Eagles will consider it. But, uh, you know, that's the only thing I, I want to see out of Jalen Hurts this year. I just want to see more consistency out of the guy because the only thing consistent right now out of him has been the deep ball, and that's something I've really liked. Yeah, as should everybody. Uh, everybody loves a guy who can uh, get it up into the air and make uh, 50 yard, 60 yard gains. Um, and here's the one thing I think all Eagle fans have to remember Jalen Hurts, a big part of Jalen Hurts' game is that he can take off and make plays with his legs. Uh, I've always believed if that's your number one strength, you're not going to be a winning quarterback in the National Football League. Uh, Michael Bick, I know, had some flurries and had uh, some very good games when he was here in Philadelphia. Michael Vick was never a franchise quarterback. He was never a top five quarterback, top seven quarterback in the league. He may drop in for one year, but uh, to really be that highly rated, I think you need to do it over a period of time. And, oh, by the way, Michael Beck never made it to a Super Bowl, his team. So he can go back and analyze each team that he played on and go, yeah, but Jody was more about the defense. Yeah, Jody didn't have enough weapon. And and we can have that exercise and break it down. But the simplest uh, answer is his team never made it to a Super Bowl. So I don't think that can be your number one attribute. And, yes, for me, Michael Beck, that was his number one attribute. If you can have that as a secondary attribute, oh, I think it's a real nice add. And that's what Jalen Hurts is going to be after going to have to be. But right now, no one is analyzing his running ability. It's almost like, yeah, but it doesn't count. Oh, it's going to count when the game starts. When he pulls the ball down and takes off, gets a 20-yard gain, and moves the chains and keeps drives going, then everybody will appreciate the fact that he can make plays with his legs. It's just not what you're going to analyze here in camp. You, you know that he can make plays with his legs. So if he does one, you're going to go, okay, yeah, but can you throw it? Yeah, but we'd be able to throw it. How about your last pass? People are just going to move right past the fact that he can make plays with his legs in this analyzing period that we are in camp. But once the games start, all of a sudden, Jalen Hurts is going to be able to move the football with his legs, and I think that's going to be very advantageous for this offense. Well, yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to point out too, Jody. The Eagles are working on his feet and, you know, just trying to get those throws more accurate. It's kind of like, you know, when you're working on your golf swing or, you know, you're working on anything else, you know, I'm a bowler, you know, it's changing my bowling form. You're not going to get the results right away. And that's what practice is for. So when he does sail a ball or when he throws it in, in into somebody's feet, you have to keep that in mind. He's working on stuff right now. And hopefully over the next six weeks, <laughs> that significantly improves and he gets more comfortable in that form. But I think that's where you kind of overanalyze every little thing he's doing. And I just keep trying to say to myself, you know, it is practice. And, you know, will he do this in the game? Probably, but you hope he's more polished at that point. So it's more of he's tinkering with stuff. They're working on things with him to make him that franchise quarterback. It's just that we have to overanalyze everything because it, this is what we're seeing. We don't know what they're doing in that film room. We don't know what they're doing outside of practice. We don't even know if like Jalen Hurts goes on a side field after the session and, you know, just kind of works with Sirianni and Sirianni, like, you know, ties his feet up or whatever he does, or, you know, uh, that's one thing that I think we got to keep in perspective here. He is working on parts of his game. He's only a second year quarterback. And Jeff, uh, John McMullen, first time today, uh, had to admit that, yeah, the competition at left tackle isn't wow. really a competition anymore. It's pretty much over uh, that Jordan Mailata has far outperformed Andre Dillard 
in the practices so far. So he has certainly moved into the number one slide. All he's got to do is uh, keep it and uh, it'll be his come opening day. Um, the main reason that John was standing by, you know, Dillard could still win this thing um, from the time camp started in, in through the accruing uh, practices thereafter was because he was an number one draft pick, that he was leaning on his draft status as to why Dillard would be given more rope to prove that he is the guy at that position. I get that, and I understand it, and I'm not denying that that it is a major influence. But should it be? And we're talking particularly about Howie Roseman, the Eagles here, but we could talk about any general manager on any team. If it's a competition that you can look at before the season starts, and it's pretty damn close, and both have established track records, and that's also rather comparable, even though I would say my lot is ahead of Dillage, but it isn't like my lot has started uh, three straight years and Dillage never taken a snap before. Um, the fact that the general manager is making that big a decision, why do you have coaches? Why do you hire a coach? Isn't that supposed to be his responsibility that he needs to know who he can use in what situations to accomplish what within his offense? If we're talking about a defensive position within the defense, um, is that the case here in Philadelphia that Howie Roseman has so much say that Nick Sirianni is just nodding his head and saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever you need me to do, sir. Is that a good thing? It isn't, honestly. And look, Nick Sirianni should say, look, I don't want to – what's the nice term of putting it here? Uh, disrespect you, Howie, but what football have you played? I I'm curious because Nick Sirianni played college football, and he's been through the ranks. You know, he was a college coach. He was with the Kansas City Chiefs as a you know offensive assistant. He went to the Chargers as, as a wide receivers coach and eventually a quarterbacks coach. And you know he worked his way up the ladder. And Howie Roseman did too, but in a different aspect. Like Howie Roseman should not be determining who is the left tackle of this football team. Even though uh, again, and I agree with McMullen because I've seen this a lot of GMs. But there are also a lot of GMs that I'll quote Billy Bean. You never had a GM that was a player, and you know a lot of them were or had like you know, extensive football backgrounds, you know, Ozzie Newsom comes to mind as one of those guys. So if he would say something, I'd be like, yeah, okay. But no, you know, Howie Roseman has to be like you and me here, or even like John McMullen. Jordan Mulata has been better than Andre Dillard. And Andre Dillard, yes, he is a former first round pick. And yes, you hate to admit that, oh, I traded up for this guy. And I gave up a draft pick, multiple draft picks so I could get this guy. But Sooner or later, you're not just a former first-round pick anymore. You're in a competition for a reason. Just like Jordan Malah is not a former seventh-round pick anymore. At the end of the day, you're NFL players. Who's the better NFL player right now, Jordan Malata or Andre Dillard? Oh, it's clear it's Jordan Malata, and that's what bothers me about this. Like, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is going to get every opportunity to make this roster, even though you and I both know J.J. Ortega-Whiteside just I hate to say he just isn't good. Like, he hasn't been good. And when you look at guys like DK Metcalf and, you know, and, and look, the Indianapolis Colts are going through the same thing right now with Paris Campbell. And Paris Campbell's been hurt, but when Paris Campbell's on the football field, he just isn't good. And, you you know, the Colts are going to give him every opportunity to make the team because, oh, he was a second-round pick. We drafted him in the 60s. You know, we wasted a high pick on him, and we're really good on drafting people. But it's the same scenario. Like, you shouldn't have to base your team off this. If Greg Ward is better than J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, he is, he should make the roster. Uh, bottom line, it's 
you win games by picking the best football players, not because you want to prove yourself right on high draft picks so the fans don't get on you. Because guess what? Howie Roseman won a Super Bowl and the fans still don't like him anyway. Correct. And you can have your opinion on Howie Roseman. I can have mine, which I'm well on record as saying he could have been fired after last year. I thought Jeff Lurie should have gone one of two ways. Either you keep both Harry Roseman and Doug Peterson and give them one more shot, keep the band together, but know full well, it's all going to be decided on this upcoming season. Or you get out to Big Broom and you sweep them both away. And you say, all right, we're starting from scratch. I'm going to get myself a new general manager, and I'm going to allow him to be a major uh, influence on hiring our new head coach here. Jeff did the one thing I didn't think he should do, which is split the difference. Fire one and keep one. But that's what the owner did. So be it. So Howie Roseman has shown his ability to uh, dodge bullets when he's here in town. But here's the thing that bothers me. And if Howie Roseman is playing to this, I, I just think he's wrong. He reads the situation differently than I do. Specifically, this left tackle position. If Andre Dillard doesn't win the job, he may or may not be here. I told you last night, talking to Brandon Lee Gowton on my radio show, BLG said, He's doing the ever-changing 53-man roster. If you're a beat guy, you've got your 53. You're adding guys. You're subtracting guys. It's it's a daily process that you go through. His 53 right now does not include Andre Dillard. He doesn't see him being good enough to make this 53-man roster, which is pretty bad. And I think Brandon might be putting the cart ahead of the horse there just a little bit. But I, I agree with Brandon's evaluation that he should not be the starter. Okay, Andre Dillard's not the starter, but Jordan Mailata is. And Howie Roseman picked him in the seventh round when no one else was thinking about him, when no one else had him mocked going in the sixth round to another team. No, they took a chance on the kid. They developed the kid, and now he's going to be a starting left tackle in the league. Why don't we emphasize that? Why do we have to emphasize, you know, there's another Howie Roseman, number one draft pick that's gone down the shitter. But it all comes down to spin. You can spin it up that uh, Jordan Mylia is a great success story as much as you can spin it down that, uh, oh, my God, did they uh, make a mistake when they took Dillard? Um, I, I don't know why you would make decisions about your personnel on your team out of fear that it's going to look bad for you if uh, this happens when you've got another way to look at it and say, hey, this is really good that as a the organization, as a team, we're able to accomplish this. Why is it always about the negative with Howie Rose? Well, see, this is the thing. Everybody likes to point out the 2011 uh, draft too, Jody. And you got to remember who was in that. Dan Watkins, Jaquan Jarrett, um, Curtis Marsh was in that draft. But at the end of the day, I'd love to point out something. Outside of the Denver Broncos who drafted Von Miller, I don't think there's that many Hall of Famers that came out of that 2011 draft class for each team. But there's a certain guy that has a great chance to make the Hall of Fame in that infamous 2011 draft class, and that's Jason Kelsey. So you got to give Howie Rosen credit for that, right? Like, you found this guy. He ended up being a pillar and anchor of your Super Bowl team. Yeah, it wasn't expected. Yeah, the front half of that draft was god-awful. But guess what? You still got a Hall of Famer. Jordan Mulata is the same way. Yeah, you have to praise these guys. And again, John Snyder has made a career out of this in Seattle. Look at the guys he's found in the later rounds. Richard Sherman being the number one guy out of that. And that's how you win championships. I know GMs, everybody loves the harp on, yeah, you screwed up in the first round. What about 
what you did in the third or fourth round. I, I know you didn't have a high grade on them, but you got to give the GM and the scouting department credit for playing these guys. And Howie Roseman has to look at that too. I, I would love to like just hear Jeff Stoutman say to Howie Roseman, look, Howie, you took a chance on this guy and everybody kind of mocked you. Be like, why are you drafting a rugby player? Why would you trade up? Remember, they traded up into the draft to get this guy because they thought that highly of him. They were the only ones who thought this highly of Jordan Mulata. Now the fruits of your labor are paying off, and you want to play Andre Dillard over him? Like, And again, I'm, I think BLG is being a little too extreme here. I think Andre Dillard can at least at the, at the very least be a serviceable backup left tackle for the Eagles, and he could still probably start for another team in this league. But you have to say to yourself, you know what? We took a shot on this guy. We developed him. It took a long time. We weren't even sure if this kid was going to make the roster last year at this time. And now he might be one of the top 10 starting left tackles in all of football. You got to give the GM credit for that. Everybody loves to look at the negative stuff they do, the terrible free agent signings, the terrible picks. But at the end of the day, especially a guy like Howie Roseman, 50-50 is not terrible for GMs. And uh, I cover the entire league. I've known a lot of GMs that just miss and miss and miss. And the Minnesota Vikings are one of those teams that, you know, everybody loves to praise Justin Jefferson. And, again, he fell into their lap. But there have been a lot of first-round picks that franchise has missed on. Uh, they just got a first-round pick. And, you know, again, you can't read into domestic abuse and what they do in their, you know, in their downtime. But, They've gotten rid of Gladney. They've gotten rid of Mike Hughes, who's in Kansas City now. It's, you know, there's a lot of misses on teams like Minnesota. Like, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to have a GM 50-50 like Howie Rosen. And, oh, by the way, uh, here's what scares me. Um, not the fact that Howie Roseman is going to try and overly influence uh, and maybe even go so far as to put his foot down and go, this is going to happen. This guy is going to play. This is the way we're going to handle it going forward with his rookie head coach. Um, I, I don't know if he's bold enough to do that. And if you get enough media reporters who are out there watching practice day in and day out, maybe you get an Eagle uh, player to comment on it off the record. Uh, I, I don't really think that Howie would be so bold as to dictate who's starting at left tackle when their performance on the field has been rather obvious that one deserves it over the other. Here's what I'm worried about. The Eagles, and most of it is is Howie Roseman, a little bit with his predecessor, Joe Banner, so it's been going on for quite some time, but certainly Howie, too, and that it, it did in part contribute to that Super Bowl win in 2017. The Eagles have been a better-than-average team compared to other teams around the league in finding talent, deciding that talent was part of their future going forward past the start of their first contract and getting a team-friendly contract done with them that keeps them as a member of the Eagles but also helps them out with cap management in future years. They've done it with a, a bunch of guys over the years, specifically how he's been the general manager. One of the guys who, in my estimation, could fall into that category would be Jordan Mailata, who's up for a contract. And if the coaching staff is already saying, hey, not only has this guy won the competition, we might run just as much left as we do right because he's getting as much separation as uh, Lane is on that right-hand side. And again, uh, we're not privy to those conversations that the coaches are having after practice is over and done with. But my lot has been that good that you would think that the Eagles would say in their high-level meetings, 
And again, I had uh, Brandon Lee Gowton on my show last night. He noted that after practice, outside, within the, the ability of the media to see it, Jeff Laurie got together with Howie Roseman and uh, the, the head coach, Nick Sirianni, and he mentioned one of the two coordinators. I don't know if it was Steichen or uh, Gannon, but uh, a meeting of the minds outside. Now, they could have been discussing anything, like uh, where are we going to get cheesesteaks, uh, guys? Uh, we're going to call out for dinner because we're going to be hanging around. Or they could have been having high-level conversations about how the roster is looking and what moves should they should make. I'm hoping that Howie is at least staying open-minded and considering that they just created some cap money. You and I discussed this briefly yesterday, and I'll ask about it again. Um, they renegotiated Derek Barnett's deal. Derek Barnett's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. So if you're giving him a contract extension that only has voidable years, you're not really changing his status. All you're doing is cap management accounting. So they created some cap money for this upcoming season. Why? What is behind that? Where are they going to use that newly created cap flexibility? I don't know. I've asked a couple of people, including John yesterday, including Brandon last night. Nobody really knows what's how he's got up his sleeve. Is one of the things up his sleeve that he could be thinking about extending Jordan Mailata? Am I just dreaming a dream here, uh, JK? Or do I think, uh, do you think, that that might be something that Howie is uh, at least formulating a potential plan on. Well, here's the interesting part about this, Jody, and this is someone who's looked at the cap a lot over the years. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you extend Jordan Mulata this early, you're actually creating even more cap space for this year. Now, granted, you're obviously there's going to be some caveats in there and stuff like that that you know that's going to be pushed back toward future years. But immediately, you're actually creating a bit more cap space for yourself to make another move. But yeah, uh, extensions are possible, or restructuring of contracts is possible again. Or you know, it may be Jordan Mulata, it may be Derek Barton, it, it may be Josh Sweat. You know, Josh Sweat is, I think this is his contract year too, if I'm not mistaken, because he wasn't a first round pick. So you have to look at every situation. I, I, I always forget what year Josh Sweat was drafted. It was year 18 or 19. I, I forget, but so I apologize there. But the fact remains the same. You're looking at the potential here to lock up some of your homegrown guys. And, you know, 2017 draft, as we saw, they got rid of Sidney Jones and Russell Douglas because they were not part of their future. That's why they got rid of them last year. But Derek Barnett has stuck around, and they redone his deal. They like Derek Barnett. I know that for a fact. They do like Derek Barnett. 
Um, how much do they like him? I, you know, I, I think it's going to depend on this year. But something tells me, and we know how the Eagles work. They've done this over Joe Banner. They've done this, you know, pretty much since Ray Rhodes was fired at this point. They seem to want to sign guys a bit earlier than they do. And they've kind of done this with Carson Wentz, too, because they feel like they want to have these guys outperform their value. Zach Ertz outperformed his contract. That's why he wanted a new one. And I know Zach Ertz gets paid a lot of money, but when he signed his deal, he was one of the top paid tight ends of football. Well, the Eagles knew damn well it was going to be 2019, 2020, and Zach Ertz was going to be going from top three to top ten. I think that's what they want to do with guys like Derek Barnett, especially, and I mentioned this previously before, Sam Hubbard got a four-year, $40 million deal from the Cincinnati Bengals. Derek Barnett is better than him. If the Eagles can get four years, $40 million from Derek Barnett, to me, that's a great deal because the sky's the limit for him. They've done this with Brandon Graham, too. Remember when Graham signed like a four-year, $26 million deal? Brandon Graham clearly outperformed that contract. Now he's finally getting paid what he's deserved in his 30s, and I think that's what the Eagles want to do here. They know Jordan Malaz is going to make a lot of money. I think they want to sign him now before he really gets good, and then they can say, hey, look, man, we got this offensive tackle. We got this left tackle, this this guy who's a franchise left tackle. We're only signing him for like $8, $10 million a year when in the, theoretically he's probably worth twenty. I think that's what the Eagles are going for here. Josh Sweat's making less than a million dollars this year. Certainly, uh, my lot is making less than a million dollars as a seventh round pick that's still on his rookie contract. So yeah, they don't need to do it for either of those two. It's for the future. It's, it's getting them under contract for better numbers that you believe that they're going to play for the next two, three, four years. And both of them have been dynamite in camp. As a matter of fact, sweat has uh, really opened people's eyes on the defensive side. And my lot has done it on the uh, offensive side. It's uh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of what Howie is actually doing as far as uh, uh, accounting and uh, some video analysis and maybe even conversations with agents back in his uh, office these days because he did create that cap space. Didn't see it coming. Not still not 100 percent sure why he did it. I'm hoping that uh, my is something that they're considering. And I would go down the Josh Sweat road because I actually think Josh Sweat is. Uh, going to have a better year, a more productive year than Barnett. I've been disappointed uh, since the day Barnett was drafted. I thought it was a little bit of a reach, and I don't think at any point maybe it was just the fact that there was an unfair comparison and comparison between him and that Reggie White guy because they went to the same university. Nobody's Reggie White, and if I put that in my mind, shame on me for that. But first-round production, he hasn't been close enough to me. I know he's not bad, but he just hasn't been as good as I think he should be as per where he was drafted. Forget about where he went to college. Um, I didn't just think that Sweat's a uh, more productive player. And if I'm an, an offensive corner, I'm more aware of where Josh Sweat is on the field than Barnett is on the field. Um, here's the problem with Sweat. Is he going to be able to stay healthy? Can he stay on the field? If I knew that, if he had a better track record of being healthy from the day that uh, the Eagles drafted him, he would be the guy that I would be most leaning toward at this uh, at this point to try and sign and extend to a future contract. Yeah, and I know fans love to overblow this, but I remember, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago before camp, uh, Jeff Mosher uh, said something about Sweat's injury, and Sweat like went on, not Twitter rampage, but he said, knee's fine, you know, uh, media's creating some, uh, of course a player's going to say his knee's fine. He's going to say he's healthy because 
that's what they do. I mean, we all do it. We, we all think we're healthier than what we actually are. That's just the, you know, the nature of the beast. But yeah, you, you're right, Jody. Like, is Josh Sweat going to be able to play a 16 game season and play 60 to 70% of the snaps? And, uh, you know, even if he plays 50% is great because the Eagles are going to rotate anyway. But I think that's why Ryan Kerrigan's here, just in case a Derek Barnett gets hurt again or a Josh Sweat. They, you know, they're dotting their eyes and they're crossing their T's here with, with this. But yeah, it's, you know, before I want to give Josh Sweat, you know, eight to $10 million a year, which again, the production is probably going to outweigh the cost. But if the guy's hurt all the time, that's the big risk. And, you know, knee injuries are tricky. And I know that the injury happened years and years ago now. It's probably been about six years, but it's still a concern for me. Like, you know, because these guys do get banged up. And, you know, sometimes knee injuries lead to foot injuries, they lead to ankle injuries. And, you know, and I'm sure Josh Sweat is good. I'm sure Josh Sweat is healthy, but you're never really going to know until you know, the grind of a season. And now you're playing a 17 game season. So that's something you have to keep in mind as well. So again, uh, like I'll take Josh Sweat's word for it. He's hundred percent healthy, but I also know how I've reacted to injury, how <laughs> NFL players react to injury. Kyler Murray told me last year in week 13, he was completely fine. I asked him about the shoulder. I asked him about the ankle. Yeah, man, I, I, I'm good. You know, I, I'm playing this week. You know, it's not a concern. And then, you, you know, you hear stuff from inside the organization after the season. They're like, yeah, it was a problem. So that's one thing I worry about when it comes to these players. He's Jeff Kerr. I'm Jody McDonald. We are Birds 365. Check of the calendar tells me we're just eight days away from the first Eagles preseason game. They're scheduled to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, by the way, that'll be the Eagles first be the Steelers second because the Steelers are playing tomorrow night in the Hall of Fame game against the Dallas Cowboys Hall of Fame week in Canton, Ohio this week. Our next guest who's going to join us coming up in just a couple of minutes is a Hall of Fame guru. He is uh, the football guru as well, but he has uh, been going out to Canton for absolutely ever uh, to be part of and uh, to be there for the Hall of Fame inductions. He's getting out there early this week because, man, there's going to be a lot going on. they got two classes going in and the Hall of Fame game between the Cowboys and the Steelers. We'll talk all things NFL with Russell Baxter of ProFootballGuru.com. He's scheduled to join us next here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, 
go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. It is a Wednesday edition of Birds 365. Each Jeff Kerr, I'm Jody McDonald. Uh, we're waiting the arrival of uh, Russell Baxter, who I've been doing NFL spots with for 30-plus years. Uh, Russell's a longtime friend, uh, former football writer, turned turned uh, researcher for ESPN, back into the writing end of it, uh, writes for several different websites, including his own ProFootballGuru.com. Uh, and uh, he is heading out to Canton tomorrow. Uh, Russell has always covered the Hall of Fame inductions and everything tied to the Hall of Fame. And it should be a really good class going in this year. Uh, I'll be honest, as big a football fan as I am, I'm a bigger baseball fan because I wasn't really given a choice as a kid, seeing as my father was in professional baseball. Uh, I, I love the sports equally, but I love the intricacies of baseball a little bit more. And part of that is including a Hall of Fame. I think I've got a better grasp on who is or isn't a baseball Hall of Famer than a football Hall of, Hall of Famer, but I got to give the NFL credit because they always put on a great show with their induction ceremony and the like. And I did see this morning that because this year's class is so big, they are really going to keep the inductees to an eight-minute speech. Yeah. It would be it would be my comment on that. Good luck. Uh, they say this every year, Jeff, that they're going to keep it as a tight rain. It's not going to be as long as it usually is. They always say that, yet never happens. Do you think it's got any chance to happen this year that uh, they'll be able to control the length of speeches of any of the inductees? Well, for my sake, because I'll be doing a lot of Hall of Fame coverage for CBS Sports, yes, but no, it's not going to happen. Those guys are just going to go all out because this is their moment. Like I, I honestly feel Harold Carmichael's going to speak up. 
heck of a lot more than eight minutes. I'd love to see them limit him. And, you know, guys like Edron James, I highly doubt they're going to limit. Peyton Manning, yeah, you're going to limit Peyton Manning to an eight-minute speech. Get out of here. That, that's not happening. Yeah, I don't either. And Peyton Manning is the easiest of all the selections over the last two years. And I had a whole bunch last year because it was the centennial year of the National Football League, which means they expanded the class that they were taking in. I got it. I understood. There are some guys who are getting in uh, that wouldn't measure up to other Hall of Fame classes that have previously been inducted. Did you have a problem with the fact that they decided to expand the uh, class size because it was a, uh, a special year, a 100-year anniversary? So I first visited the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2018, and, you know, I told them I was a media member, and, you know, this is my first time visiting, and I had a question for them, and I was like, you know, you guys love to talk about your 1920s, 1930s era football. Why are there, like, no Hall of Famers from that era in that class? And, you know, and they're just like, you know, we kind of forgot about them. And I'm like, well, what do you mean you forgot about them? Like, this is the Pro Football Hall of Fame, isn't it? You know, and I'm just thinking to myself. So I was really relieved when they picked these guys. Like, you know, and, and even got, I, I still think the guys in Harold Carmichael's era were greatly overlooked. Like, there are guys from the Steel Curtain defense I still feel should be in the Hall of Fame uh, that aren't. Um, there are a lot of players like the receivers. That I'm so glad Harold Carmichael and Drew Pearson are actually in because in, you know, all the stuff I watched, I watch old games on YouTube. I would watch the old Monday night football games. Those guys were studs. I, I'm sorry. They, they were. And you, you've actually seen them play, Jody. I was, yeah. I even thought of yet. Those guys were legitimate studs. And I, I feel like receivers just didn't get the credit they deserved. And a lot of the tight ends didn't. Um, it, it seemed like in that era, it was more quarterbacks and offensive linemen and, you know, uh, even defensive back. Like, I feel like the Pro Football Hall of Fame was so restricted for a lot of years on certain positions. Like, oh, we can't have this guy come in because he didn't win a Super Bowl. Or we couldn't have this guy come in because he didn't make enough all-pro teams. And now it seems that they're opening up things a little bit, which I like. And uh, specifically with the wide receivers, different game. Um, the way that defensive backs were allowed to play back in the day it was just tougher to be able to make plays in the passing game. Uh, that's why I'm glad to see guys like Pearson and Harold Carmichael getting their due with this Hall of Fame class. All right, Darby, I guess he's ready to hop aboard with us. Um, he has uh, been one of my go-to guys when I talk about the National Football League for the last three decades, count him, um, from ProFootballGuru.com. Uh, does work for Fansided as well. Our buddy Russell Baxter. Russell, are you packed for Canton? I am half packed. I have a very early flight uh, tomorrow morning going through Charlotte, uh, and uh, but I'll be at the game and the jacket ceremony, which is stirring if you've never been there. And then two days of enshrinements, obviously, the class of 2020 on Saturday and the class of 2021 on Sunday. Um, no, no Hall of Fame last year. It was one of the few years I've missed since 1989. And uh, my first year there, and hello, Jeff, I don't think we've ever met. And um, my first year there, to show you how things have changed at the Hall of Fame, first class I saw was Willie Wood, Art Shell, Terry Bradshaw, Mel Blunt. Ceremony on the steps. Fans kind of lining up on the wall. Maybe a couple, 300 people, wooden chairs, sit up front. That was Bradshaw's stirring speech. Um, you know, what I wouldn't do to put my hands under Mike Webster's butt one more time. <laughs> um, and of course, then when Mike went in years later, 
he, you know, he, Terry came up on the stage and took the snap from Mike one more time, which was also a fun moment later on and so on. But now it's at the, you know, the game has been moved. Uh, the first year I went, the game was at 2.30 in the afternoon, right after the ceremonies. The stadium's been renovated. The press box has been renovated. Um, the game is prime time. Um, thanks to Jim Kelly bringing 3,000 of his closest friends the year he went in, the ceremony is now at the stadium instead of the steps. And when I say 3,000 of his closest friends, I am not exaggerating. That was that was amazing. And then the year after that, which would be, um, no, two years after, it would be the class of 2005, Dan Marino and Steve Young's class. To this day, Jody and Jeff, I have never seen more of one jersey of one player in a single place than Dan Marino's jersey the year he went into the Hall of Fame. It was it was as if they were giving them away, okay? <laughs> like Crazy Eddie, we're just giving it all away. So the, the state, I mean, it was, I would say anywhere from 35 to 40% of the people there, not only just there for Marino, but just wearing his jersey as well. I can report, though, I did not see any isotoner gloves on any of those guys as well. Though, so. Now, Russ, you mentioned the stadium, and I, I kind of wanted to bring this up. And I said to Jody, the first time I ever was there was in 2018, and they were in the middle of that renovation. And yes. when I was talking to people in Canton, they said the old Foster Stadium was an absolute dump. And I remember the fiasco. I think it was 2016, 2017, when the Hall of Fame game was pretty much canceled because of the field conditions. Yeah. How much, yeah, how much did they improve that? Um, well, like I said, I wasn't there last year, but they dramatically improved it. And if I remember, I think it was 2016 that you're talking about. And that had something to do with that. They put the wrong paint on the field and it dried and it got sticky and then you couldn't use the field. So whoever the maintenance people were, remember, this is a high school football stadium that they've turned into a bigger, bigger place. And I, I always like to point this out, regardless if it's what's going on there or the Hall of Fame election process and all that stuff. The NFL does not run the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They support it. That's why it's called the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But of course, you know, annually you get the conspiracies of, well, the NFL is trying to keep this guy out and the NFL is trying to keep that guy. It has nothing to do with it. I've, you know, I've known people there, like I said, more than 30 years. Joe Horgan, who recently retired, uh, you can, you'll catch Joe, you know, give, you know, at, at a game where they're going to like pull a football or you would you would catch Joe um, on NFL films and so on. His love for the game, his, his historic knowledge there. And I'm sure he'll be there, even though he's retired. The last time I was there, he was there. But I'll be curious to see, Jeff, the changes just in two years, because, you know, they've been working on that Hall of Fame village and so on. Yeah, the facility is much, much different than it used to be. Russell, um, this year, the extra game falls to the Cowboys and the Steelers. As you mentioned, it's in prime time, not right after the ceremony as it used to be. So certainly it's changed over time. But what hasn't changed is you get an extra preseason game mm -hmm. if you are selected for the Hall of Fame game. Some people look at that as a plus. Some people look at that as a big negative. It used to be your fifth game rather than everybody else's fourth. Now it's your fourth game rather than everybody else's third. How is that going to play this year? Is it something that the Cowboys and the Steelers coaching staffs can take advantage of? Or is it something that they have to be able to deal with that they would look at as an obstacle? 
Well, as you know, we're not going to see the start. You know, Ben Roethlisberger and Dak Prescott aren't going to be playing and so on. But I, I think for these teams in particular, Jody, it kind of plays well for them for this reason. What do the Steelers probably need to move work on more than anything else? Offensive line continuity. So the more reps they can get, okay, and I don't know who's going to play tomorrow night. I mean, you never know, but they have a lot of new offensive linemen. Marquise Pouncey retired. David Castro uh, was released. Alejandro Villanueva is now with um, the Baltimore Ravens. Matt Filer is now with the Chargers. So continuity, which has gotten harder to establish in training camp because of the physical limitations they put on players and so on and pads and so on. That's why I think it takes offensive line like a, almost like an extra month to get ready for football season. For the Cowboys, any kind of defensive continuity. I mean, last year was a shambles, as you know. Uh, and they've got two play. They've got a newcomer in Keanu Neal, who is making a transition from safety to outside linebacker. And, of course, they got Micah Parsons, who is a rookie. So it's funny because they have Jalen Smith and, uh, and Van Der Esch, and they look like they were the future for the Cowboys linebackers. And, you know, it's hard, inexplicable. I mean, I know Mike Nolan took a lot of heat, but for them to be as bad as they were last year defensively, and you're watching Dak Prescott put up these unbelievable numbers the first five weeks of the season when he's playing. And he had to, because it still wasn't good enough. That's how bad, with that 300 yards rushing, they gave up to the Cleveland Browns. Who gets 300 yards rushing in the league anymore in a game? It just doesn't happen. So, for them, I think it plays off well. But I'll tell you one thing. It's a far cry from the old days as I, you know, I've been watching this game for a long time. You guys know there used to be six preseason games, okay, on a 14-game schedule. And if you were the defending Super Bowl champion, you played a seventh preseason <laughs> game against the college All-Stars. So I'll give you an example. I'm going to do the 75 Steelers because they won the Super Bowl in 74. They played seven preseason games. They played 14 regular season games. And because they went back to the Super Bowl, they played three postseason games. They played 24 games per se mm. in 1975. That's insane. Um, you know, you kind of brought this up for me, you know, back in the day, obviously, with the six preseason games. Like, I always wanted to know, and really the only type of experience I have with those training camps were by watching Invincible. Obviously, it's a Disney-made movie, you know. Right. They overplayed the Vermeil camps a little bit, but you know, I've heard stories from you know Ron Jaworski and Harold Carmichael, a couple of those guys, about how tough they actually were. But how did you evaluate football players for literally six weeks of camp? I, I should even say more of that because it's not like you played the preseason right away. Well, back also back in the day, that's probably going to be a popular theme here. Um, you know, football was not what it is now, a full time job. Okay, there were a lot of players who did other things during football when football season was over. Okay, we didn't have free agency, we didn't have the big contracts, we didn't have any of that. And training camp back then, Jeff, you you basically played your way in back into football shape. Okay, there were there were players I know, you know, that I've heard stories about where you know they came in training camp like really out of shape because they hadn't done anything except have another job or not done anything at all. And they used that, the heat and the humidity and, you know, cutting down on their diet and played their way back into shape. It's funny you mentioned training camp also, because 
I was recently on a podcast with Seth Joyner. And um, Seth, who, uh, you know, I, I know he, he told me he's going out to Canton. He's going out there for Harold Carmichael and so on. But one of the things we discussed is uh, one of the first training camps I ever went to was 1986 at Westchester, which was Buddy Ryan's first training camp. And I did an interview with Wes Hopkins. But meanwhile, little did I know at the time, they had a rookie linebacker named Seth Joyner. Okay. Also during that practice, Buddy didn't hold anything back. I believe if I remember right, he was running the Oklahoma drill on the first day of practice. And the reporters who were there at the time were stunned. And Buddy's basically, they're like, well, aren't you afraid somebody's going to get hurt? And Buddy's answer was basically, well, if you're afraid you're going to play, get hurt, then don't play football. Okay? So, <laughs> he was pretty simple about it and so on. But, you know, that obviously practices and conditioning. We had, unfortunately, the Corey Stringer incident 20 years ago and so on. Um, you know, the new collective bargaining agreement in terms of concussions and contact and all that. Things have changed so much. But then again, back then, Jeff, you didn't have necessarily OTAs, which players are now getting a lot of work done in the OTAs. And so I think eventually we're going to get to 18 games and two preseason games. And I, I know this, they had to fix the system somehow because the preseason, if you played four or five games, was so disjointed. Okay, first preseason game, somebody, your starters maybe played a series. Second preseason game, maybe a quarter. Third preseason game, quote unquote, the dress rehearsal, where we're going to play the starters for a half, maybe into the third quarter. Fourth preseason game, you shut everybody down. So all that rhythm that you built up, if you had any rhythm at all, went by the wayside because the season didn't start for another two weeks. I think if they go to two preseason games, Jody and Jeff, they'll play them with a little more, quote unquote, urgency and maybe have a little more rhythm going into an 18 game season. An 18 game season for the pros is not that unusual. Ask the USFL, the old USFL and ask the CFL. They both played 18 game regular seasons. Russell, you usually have a better grasp on this than a guy like myself. And I do try and stay on top of it, but I know that you're better at it than me. A couple of years ago, it's not the first time it happened, but a couple of years ago, and I picked up on it week one, because we're geeks. We watch week one preseason games like they really matter. Uh, it's just the fact that we've been starved for football for months. Oh, and yeah. you just love to get it back into uh, your viewing and into your head. The NFL will put an emphasis on something to start a season. And you will know that by the way they call the exhibition games. A couple of years ago was using the helmet as a weapon, the crown of the helmet. And damn it, there just wasn't flag after flag after flag of using the crown as a helmet. You can't use the crown. And I said, they can't do this. It's just blatantly slowing the game down. It's asking players to play differently than they've ever played before. Yes. Uh, there wasn't enough buildup to it. And yes, by the time the regular season came around, they had gotten onto the same page with their referees and it wasn't called as much as it was in the preseason. Is there any major point of emphasis this year when the uh, game is played tomorrow night and the following week when everybody plays exhibition football? Is there going to be something we need to be on the lookout for, uh, need to be watching for as far as maybe the referees will be calling the game differently than they previously have? I don't think so, at least not this year, okay? Uh, you know, the, the biggest news surrounding the league still remains COVID. 
Okay, as far as availability and, and teams being vaccinated, there was a report yesterday that the Vikings have the lowest vaccination rate in the league. Other teams are doing very, very well. That seems to be, I mean, and you if you watch the transaction wire every day, this guy goes on the COVID list, this guy comes off the COVID list. So there's a degree of that. But field-wise, I, I don't think so, Jody. I, I, I don't. Um, you know, last year we had, an, you know, for, for the fact that we had, no preseason last year, and we basically had the highest scoring season in the history of the NFL, tells you that, well, maybe the offensive players have more fun during the OTAs than the defensive players because there was some horrendous defense last year. Um, like under the radar last year. You know the Lions gave up the second most points in a season in NFL history last year? They were worse than the Cowboys. Yeah, even worse than the Cowboys. What happened to the – how do you go from giving up 303 points – to 475 in one wow. year. That's Mike Zimmer's Minnesota Vikings. Okay, I know Daniel Hunter wasn't there, but don't don't say that too loud. We're going to be run by uh, a Mike Zimmer disciple, <laughs> Mr. Gannon, here in Philadelphia. <laughs> Eagle fans don't want you pointing that out, Russell. Well, I I don't know. I don't know if any is there any player in league history worth 172 points. You just tell me that, okay? Because <laughs> it well, was showed a lot of that too. I don't think people realize the Vikings were a bottom 10 defense until that Alvin Kamara. Game. Oh yeah. Which, oh, I know. I know. I mean, and that was indicative of their say. How many times did the Vikings score like 30 points last year and lose? Okay, w would that have happened any other time? To me, Mike Zimmer. Not to change it. Mike Zimmer's on a little bit of the hot seat here because even since he's gotten there, they've never made the playoffs two years in a row. Okay. They're like an accordion. They're up, they're down, they're up, and, and they are. Okay? Yeah. So, I mean, and obviously if they make it this year, it still won't be two years in a row and so on. So they need to bounce back. Their offense with Dalvin Cook and Kirk Cousins, he still fumbles a little too much. Justin Jefferson, he put points all over the board last year and they couldn't stop anyone. So to answer your question, I don't know if there's anything there's really going to be looked at, but I laugh about that lowering the head thing from a couple of years ago. Remember the rule about running backs weren't able to lower their head and so on? Did, was that ever called in an NFL game? I never no, saw it. Called. But, but it, was called, it was called on a weekly basis during the preseason. Yes, yes. Oh, they flagged the heck out of it in all those preseason games. Yeah, they, they listen, league looks and listens. I always, you know what a two-gap defense, it's read and react. The league is a two-gap league. They read and they react. And that's why you see these this this tweak here and that tweak here, because they're listening to their customers. They're listening to their fans. Their fans don't, don't want the game stopped every they don't want their their game stopped like the final 12 minutes of an NCAA basketball tournament game. Now, Russ, I know this weekend's about celebrating players that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and there is one eagle eye would bang the table for to get into the Hall of Fame. We talked about him just a little bit ago, Seth Joyner. I think he's still the only player with 50 sacks and like 25 interceptions, or he might be the only linebacker. I forget what, what the stat is. But him and Maxi Bond, I, I always thought were two guys that should be in there. Uh, care to have your take on that? Yeah, I do too. I'll throw out a third one too, a guy I've written around about is Bill Berge. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bill Berge. And, and he – he finished his career with Philadelphia, but he had a pretty good career with the Cincinnati Bengals even right. before he got to Philadelphia. And I'm like you, Jeff. I when I look at these line, especially the linebackers, okay, um, this is not this is not a knock on Derek Thomas, okay, um, but this might surprise some people. There were few people in this league that were better at sacking the quarterback and stripping the football 
than Derek Thomas. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's an outside linebacker. Would any one of you care to guess how many interceptions he had during his career? You know what? I think he's only had like two or three. One. One. Wow. One. It came in his final year in the NFL, and it came off a deflection. So a degree, he was great at what he did, but he was not a versatile player. I remember him, uh, I think it was him and Neil Smith got yanked out of the 1993 AFC title game at Buffalo because they couldn't stop the run, okay? I mean, they put him on the sidelines, but they couldn't stop the run. They, they knew the Bills were going to run. So again, I'm, I'm not disp- I don't disparage anybody that's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, okay? You got there, you don't have to agree, but you're in, you're in. But when you talk about what you just said, Bill Berge and Seth Joyner. And, you know, Maxie Bond's a little obviously before my time and so on. But when you talk about guys like that who have sacks and interceptions and forced fumbles and they're not, they don't come out of the game. They're not situational players. They're overall football players. And those are the guys who I gravitate to as far as being in. That's why it's, you know, Clay Matthews is a guy. Clay Matthews. Well, I can't say Clay Matthews seniors because there's about 14 Clay Matthews. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm it's yeah, it's like cloning <laughs> and stuff, but he was another guy, but you know, the sacks, the interceptions, uh, the impact plays, uh, you know, I, 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 one of the reasons I think Seth, I, I do a countdown on pro football, um, back football guru. And I do countdowns in 59 days and Seth Joyner, and, you know, I was reminding him and other people that the game he had at the Astrodome in 1991. OK, what was it? Eight tackles, two sacks, two forced fumbles, um, two fumble recoveries. Uh, they, they destroyed the Houston Oilers and ruined the rest of their season. That's how physically they beat them up. So I'm right on board with you. And so on. those the, the versatile football players and listen, the Hall of Fame, you know, gets a lot of criticism. They're, they're playing, they're almost having a losing battle because pro football, as we know it, and the league began in 1920, even though it was not called the NFL then. The Pro Football Hall of Fame did not open until 1963. So it's like this backlog of great players. And then once you have the backlog, and, and they tried to fill some of those gaps with the centennial, centennial class group, right? You, and, and so on. Um, but you're still fighting the losing battle. By the way, my number one guy who I think should be in the Hall of Fame is Cliff Branch. Absolutely. Yeah. Cliff Branch was the big play guy in the league for a long time. I'm Mel Blunt is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mel Blunt is one of the reasons the NFL changed the rules because of his size. Cliff Branch ran by Mel Blunt in the 1974 AFC title game, and I think other games as well, like he was standing still. And Cliff, unfortunately, you know, I actually got a chance to meet Cliff Branch at the Pro Bowl one year. Very kind, humble man and so on. But in that era to have the big plays that he had, and he did it with different quarterbacks, he was part of three different championship teams. Um, and you got to love a number 21 that wears a rece- uh, wide receiver. That that iconic picture of him in the end zone at Oakland with that big sign that says speed kills is one of my favorite Favorite NFL moments and so on. You know, the, the 74 C of hands game when he caught the pass and fell to the ground. No one touched him again, game up and run. He has a 99 yard touchdown reception at Washington in 1983. Um, there's just a lot he didn't do. His yards per, I mean, he's, 
And Bob Hayes is in the Hall of Fame. He, to me, he's a better version of Bob Hayes. And Russell, you and I are old enough to remember him uh, catching 50 yards, 55, 60 oh. yards ball in the air from the mad bomber, Daryl LaMonica. Um, and, so. and, and by the way, I'll just throw out this. Most of his career played before the rules changes, okay, in 1978, which opened things up for the passing game. That's when you could maul receivers, and, and Cliff got mauled a few times. But his good moments outweighed his bad moments in, in, in a very, very big way. And maybe just maybe, take, listen, I understand the frustration with families and fans and players and so on. But I will say this. Jerry Kramer waited 40 years to get in the Hall of Fame. Which and when he got there, for the most part, he was pretty humble about it. OK. And if he can wait 40 some of your favorite players can wait 10 or 15. <laughs> no, and the guy I always go to back bat for, and yes, I uh, readily admit that it's jet-colored glasses that I look through. I think Joe Klecko should be a Hall of Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pro bowler at <laughs> three different positions and so on. Um, let's put it this way. If you're going to put Richard Seymour in in the next five or six years, Joe Klecko was Richard Seymour before Richard Seymour was. Richard Seymour was the guy who could play in the, in the three, four. He could play all along. He could play anything that Belichick wanted him to play in. They put him in the backfield as a blocker and so on. He went on to Oakland, which the team was not very good. He was getting there. He got traded there. He was still a Pro Bowl player. So, yeah, I mean, I have a I have my list that I did in February of the 30 biggest omissions, which I could probably do 50 yeah. or maybe 100 <laughs> and so on. But we kept it to 30 and so on. And both uh, Joe Klecko and Cliff Branch and um, – Richard Seymour, I believe, are all on that list. So, Russell, always a pleasure. Have a great time in Canton. We appreciate you coming on. You know, we're going to tap into you uh, throughout the entire season. Thanks for hopping on with us today. You got. I actually heard from Boomer last night, so I know it's officially football season. Okay? That would be one Chris Berman. There might be some people who think you're talking about his science, but I know you're talking yeah, about absolutely. Chris Berman. <laughs> Russell, thanks, bud. Appreciate it. You got it. Good to meet you, Jeff. Yep, good Russell. to meet you too, Russell. Russell Baxter, ProFootballGuru.com, does work for uh, fan-sided, uh, several different uh, highly acclaimed and well-respected football websites. One of my favorite uh, NFL insider guys to talk to. All right, coming up next, yours truly has to get out a couple of minutes early. I'm tapping out. Uh, we're going to make it a JKJK show again. You know, usually it's JM, JM, JKJK, just as good. Jeff Kerr going to be joined by the boss man, Joe Krause is going to step in for me to put a bow on the show here today on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life. Count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. 
catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Birds 365 with Jody Mack and Johnny Mack. Here across the Jacob Media YouTube channel, Jody Max stepping aside. Uh, I'll bring us home along with Jeff Kerr, who has been subbing in and co-hosting for uh, John McMullen, who's working down at the Novacare Complex from morning to night. Jeff Kerr sitting in uh, and will be part of the Jacob Media Network all through uh, camp and perhaps even getting into uh, the football season where it's our time, Jeff Kerr. Birds 365 built for what will be the upcoming 2021 uh, season. Thanks for being in the chair uh, and thanks for covering up for Johnny Mack and thanks for bringing along uh, some great content. I want to tap in to your expertise as a analyst and an expert for CBS Sports. I like to do that, take you out of the co-hosting chair and get into your perspective on a couple of things that we learned yesterday coming out of camp. Of course, yesterday, as you know, was the first day of pads um, emerging from yesterday's practice. Uh, and perhaps you talked about it with Jody Mack earlier on the show, but I want to get some, I really, I want to get deep with you on this a little bit. Uh, Jordan Mailata is now uh, your starting uh, left tackle based on performance in yesterday's practice. So the Andre Dillard competition is now over. Your thoughts on that? Yeah. Do we want to call it competition at this point, at this point, Joe? I mean, really it's, I, I kind of said this to Jody, if, you know, in, if you're a racing fan or an auto racing fan per se, they always measure car lengths. I, I said it was 10 car lengths before, which is a couple seconds. It might be 15 now. It, it's 
you know, he's pulling away from the field, if you will. It's not even close at this point. Jordan Milaj should be the starting left tackle of the Philadelphia Eagles come week one. With that now statement being true, assumed to be true, uh, and and accurate, do you now feel um, any differently about the big uglies, about the, uh, about the offensive line on this team? Coming into the season – it was identified as one of the big strengths. It still is. And now my Lotta will anchor that left side. Yeah, I do. I'm still really high on this offensive line. And again, we got to get Brandon Brooks healthy first. The Eagles got to make sure he's ready to go by week one. I know uh, John McMullen's not too worried about it. I'm not either. So I got to agree with him there. But overall, you got to look at this offensive line as it's currently set up. Jordan Malata, Isaac Sayamalo, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson. <laughs> Hey, that's a top five offensive line. And if Andre Dillard was the left tackle, I would still say I would say it's a top ten offensive line because I don't think Andre Dillard is a bad football player, but he is having a bad camp. And there's nothing wrong with having depth, but there aren't that many good left tackles in this league. And the Eagles could get some value for Andre Dillard if they chose to go that route. But I, I would think I'd keep him around just in case something happens. Jeff, put some perspective for us. And for those watching here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel, how I know it's an obvious question on the surface, but what can a top five offensive line mean to a second year player, quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who only played the last four games of the 2020 season? finds himself in a position right now going into the season short on weapons and short on talent what could that what does that offensive mean or what does that offensive line mean to to Jalen what does it mean to the formula how does it help him oh it's huge like and I'll go back in time a little bit here 2000 Philadelphia Eagles for example and that's you know, my first teams I remember were the Ray Rhodes teams, but that 2000 team was the first really good Eagles team I remember. And they weren't exactly, like, great per se, but McNabb had an MVP-type year, and everybody on that offensive line started all 16 games. Trey Thomas probably should have been the Pro Bowler. Uh, John Wellborn was really good. Jermaine Mayberry was really good. John Runyon, they added that all season. That was their big free agent sign, and he was a, a blessing in disguise for them. And the Eagles' offense, per se, wasn't good, but – they protected Donovan McNabb, and McNabb was able to buy time with his legs, sort of like Jalen Hurts. He didn't have the greatest of receivers. Tarn Small, Charles Johnson, Nate Brown, you know the names. And, you know, Chad Lewis was his number one guy. And, you know, it's going to be like that in a way this year. Zach Hurts may be the number one guy outside Devonta Smith. And Hurts is going to have time to look for these guys. And this offensive line is going to protect him, and he'll be able to make plays with his arm and his legs. Down the field, you'll see a lot of big-time throws. and That's one thing I'm looking at. Is Jalen Hurts may not be great, but this offensive line can make him good. And that's one thing the Eagles are going to have to evaluate. Is Jalen Hurts going to be good enough for this football team to move forward with him? And if he doesn't turn the football over, and if he can make plays with his legs and the Eagles cater to his strengths, I think he can. Like many Eagle fans, I was so excited uh, when Devontae Smith – was drafted and I was excited because of the dynamic of his relationship, his previous history at Alabama uh, with Jalen Hurts. And I kind of felt without 
knowing yet that Devontae and Jalen would become a real kind of dynamic here uh, on the offense. So with Devontae down, and I know the Eagles are downplaying the severity of what that injury will be, somebody else in that receiving core, Jeff, needs to step up. What are your thoughts? I know you love Jalen Rager, but what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, you're right. Someone in that receiving court needs to step up. And I kind of wrote about this this morning for CBS Sports. It's, it's got to be Jalen Rager. He has the first-round talent. He did not have a good rookie year last year. But he was also set back with injury, like Devonta Smith, But except his happened in the regular season. And his chemistry with Jalen Hurts was actually pretty good. Like, a Jalen Rager looked like a decent NFL player, uh, per se. And everybody's going to mention Justin Jefferson because he was a pick right after him, and rightfully so. But Jalen Rager can be a good football player. And I think this is a good opportunity for Jalen Rager to showcase to the Eagles what he's got. And in a perfect world, the Eagles would want him in the slot and Devonta Smith on the outside. But he's going to get his reps on the outside now. And I think Rager's got to show him something a little bit in this preseason. Like, the most of the talk this camp is how the wide receivers aren't exactly good. Like it's Travis Fulgham's been consistent, but you know, he's not going to be a guy you rely on, even though we had that great five game stretch last year. Jeff, let me, let's, let's stop right there. Let me ask you to expand on that a little bit. I Travis Fulgham during that five game stretch at one point appeared to be the darling of the team. In, In fact, I think, during that stretch, he may have been, if I remember correctly, a top two or top three receiver in throughout the entire throughout the entire league. And then and then it went south on him. When the Eagles are on that bye week, I do a buy the numbers column for CBS every week. And it's a fun thing, you know, just seeing where these guys compare in history and what Travis Fulcom was number one in the league in yards per catch it was receiving yards per he literally was you are absolutely right he was a top two top three receiver in this game and then he just kind of disappeared I don't know if it was because the chemistry of Carson Westman I I know Doug Peterson had his thoughts you know uh, he kind of linked that he got complacent I don't know if that was the case I just think more teams doubled up on him and this is the thing this year when Devonta Smith's going to be in this offense and Jalen Rager shows any type of burner speed you cannot double-team Travis Fogel. So if Jalen Hurts can get this kid the football, he's going to make plays. And all of a sudden now, you, you're going to have a healthy Zach Ertz, a, half, a healthy Dallas Goddard. That's actually a pretty decent receiving core to pass to, but it's a, it's going to be up to Jalen Hurts here. He's going to have to get this kid the football. And, you know, but you know, back to my initial point, like J.J. Ortega-Whiteside ain't going to be a Greg Ward is Greg Ward. He does catch the football. He has a place on this roster. Wes Watkins has been surprisingly good this camp. Like I, you know, I like Wes Watkins a lot, but you know, you can't expect much out of a six-round pick in year two. It's just the way it is. John Hightower may be in danger of getting cut. Um, so it's going to be interesting for sure. But yeah, it's Jalen Rager and Travis Fulgham. They're gonna have to be the two that kind of, you know, uh, how can I say it? Just carry the weight of the world on their shoulders and. You know Fulgham could do it for a short stretch, but can he just be more consistent? I actually love what McMullen said to us on Tuesday. Travis Fulgham has been consistent. That's what I want to see out of him. John McMullen also said last night on Football 24-7, our nightly recap, everything you want to know about camp uh, from the day in front of you uh, right here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. John McMullen also said last night that, 
All 31 other teams in the National Football League have a better receiving core than the receivers that are lining up for Jalen Hurts. When you get past Devo when you get past Devontae Smith, boy, that's a scary thought. Oh, it is. And it's really young too. And you know, Jody Mack and I were talking about this. Should they bring in a veteran? Well, here's the problem. The veterans aren't that are available in free agency aren't good. You're gonna have to go in the trade market. Oh, and by the way, they've been here before. Alshon Jeffrey and Golden Tate. I don't know if you want to put your hand in that hornet's nest. I just don't think you want to go down that route again. So if you were looking to someone like a veteran, I think it would have to be on the trade market or someone that who might be getting cut from a team. But again, why would you want a player like that? You might want to roll with the young guys. But yeah, it's just a young, inexperienced group. And they're, the Eagles just don't have much to work with outside Devonta Smith. But Jalen Rager and Travis Fulgham, they can really change the narrative on this. Like, you know, if someone asked me point blank, are their Eagles receivers good? I'd be like, no, they're terrible. But but I can say Jalen Rager and Travis Fulgham have potential. They can solve this problem, especially now with Devonta Smith being that. Devonta Smith probably makes them, if I had to rank all 32 wide receiver groups, 23, 24 in the league, without him, they're 31-32 easily. Last couple of minutes here on Birds 365 as we wind down here on a Wednesday. Hope everybody had a chance to see the announcement yesterday, live post-game uh, with Derek Gunn, Mark Farzetta, uh, Lane Johnson will be a weekly contributor outside the locker room. Devin Caney uh, we will be with us. And, of course, John McMullen will be traveling with the team and covering the team both home and away. Really excited. Two hours every week immediately following uh, the end of every Eagles football game. That right here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. If you're watching now and you're not a subscriber, subscribe going to be a great fall here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Jeff, last uh, last couple of thoughts. I do want to get you to talk about Zach Ertz. Here we are now, week two of camp. Zach Ertz is still in camp. Uh, now I'm starting to feel as though Zach Ertz will be lining up when the season begins in September. What do you know? What's your perspective? What do you think? Well, before camp, and this is before Howard Eskin even said it, like if someone were to ask you, I'm like, Zach Ertz is going to be here. Like I, I didn't have any, you know, certain fact on that. But I, I remember I was tweeting a couple things about him and he was retweeting it. And it was about Eagles related stuff. And like his agent, Steve Carrick, who is really good, by the way, he was retweeting stuff. So I'm like, okay, I'm trying to read in between the lines here. Not going too far on Twitter, but I'm like, looks like Zach Ertz going to be here. I, I truly think he's going to be the starting tight end for this football team in week one. The Eagles have a lot of plans for him. And honestly, Joe, they need them. Um, you know, we talk about the wide receiver core. Zach Ertz can fix a lot of those issues because he is a really good pass catching tight end and he can block, you know, pretty well. And again, the strength of this team is Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. If you really want to look at the offense and for a young quarterback, having those two as security blankets, that's not a bad thing at all. So I, I'm all in favor with Zach Ertz being here. The uh, ultimate professional, Zach Ertz, loves the city of Philadelphia. Um, and even though he's wearing his shorts backwards uh, at practice, as, as, as John McMullen uh, pointed out, um, would you expect him to – how would you expect him to react if he's on the 53-man roster? I don't think – he necessarily wants to be here, but he's getting 8 million reasons to be here. And, you know, money, again, it's he's not going to get paid that anywhere else, you know. And it's not like he hates the Eagles organization. Like, I'm sure he would rather be somewhere else. But 
overall, this is his opportunity to get one more big contract in free agency. And the Eagles obviously value him high. You know, they wanted a third, fourth round pick for the guy. And I think they would trade him for someone that could upgrade their roster if they could. But teams are trying to sell low on Zach Ertz. And Zach Ertz is just too talented a player for that. So I think Zach Ertz is just kind of saying, all right, I'm going to be here. You know, I like it here. I like this team. I love I love my teammates. I, I like the coach. This is not the worst situation in the world. It's not like I don't want to – I honestly compare his situation to Xavier Howard in Miami. Xavier Howard does not want to leave the Dolphins. He wants them to work this out. But if they can't, he wants to be traded. Here's the difference. Xavier Howard will be traded because he's that good of a football player. He had a tremendous year last year. Zach Ertz, he's caught between a rock and a hard place right now. Like he needs to – be better on the football field. And Philadelphia is the best opportunity for him to do that. Final thoughts from Jeff Kerr. Um, from a national perspective, you'll get the local perspective uh, as he sits in the chair uh, every day here on Birds 365. Jody Mack and Johnny Mack. Uh, Jeff Kerr sitting in for Johnny Mack on a daily basis, doing a great job bringing uh, our viewers a great perspective. Uh, quickly, if you will, um, just a, another another opinion or thought about the defense. We're talking about them every day because it seems to be the one unexpected bright spot. This The defense is better than perhaps we thought they were going to be. Absolutely. And, you know, before the season, I'd be like, okay, you know, I was really worried about the Eagles at cornerback. Mm-hmm. Then they signed Steve Nelson. And I'm like, okay, this fixes a lot. And McMullen has talked about this too. You know, Monte Maxson go in the slot. Zach McPherson can learn. All of a sudden, Zach McPherson, he's what we thought like he was going to be. Like I thought he was going to be a little too overwhelmed because he was playing too big of a role. Now you're the number four cornerback. You can just kind of learn and make plays and play your way into the system. And, you know, it was kind of like when the Eagles had Leo Shepard and Sheldon Brown when they were rookies. You know, they could learn under Troy Vincent. They could learn under Bobby Taylor. And they helped them. It really did. And, you know, become Pro Bowl players down the road. I think that's going to help Zach McPherson. I think I always thought the defensive line was good because they were third in the league in sacks and sixth in the league in pressures. I think they're going to be better than that this year. And they're as good as advertised. And now you got a third-round pick like Milton Williams turning heads. You start to think to yourself, wow, this this defense can really get after the quarterback. The linebacking situation is a little bit shaky. But overall, I think the Eagles will get that fixed. They're, you know, they, they got six weeks, so they have time for that to rotate in and out. And, you know, Eric Wilson's been on the first and second team. Alex Singleton hasn't been there yet. I was really banking on those two. But Davion Taylor, him coming out of nowhere is great for them. And, you know, the secondary is good. It's I, – I really do feel this team, you know, I said top 15 defense would be good. I think they can be top 10 the way they're performing in camp. All right, good stuff from Jeff Kerr here on Birds 365. A couple of programming reminders coming up today from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. right here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Get caught in the middle with Aton Shander, Harry Mays, and Barrett Brooks. 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., the National Football Show with Dan Cilio. And then right back here tonight at 8 p.m., everything you wanted to know about Eagles camp on 24 or on football 24/7 with John McMullen. Jeff Kerr, great stuff again today. We'll see you tomorrow. You'll be right back here uh, on the YouTube channel. Uh, appreciate uh, your contribution. Appreciate you being part of the Jacob Media Network. Thank you, sir. Yeah, Joe, I'm having the blast doing this, man. It, it's a lot of fun. All right, good stuff. That's going to do it for this edition of Birds 365. On behalf of Jody Mack, Johnny Mack, and Jeff Kerr, I'm Joe Kraus. 
See you next time, everybody. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.